Welcome to Blink of an Eye, where we interview thought leaders and deep thinkers on trauma healing wisdom, both ancient and modern, as we learn together with experts from around the world. We also engage in captivating relational conversations with spinal cord injury heroes and innovators in our Dear Louise series. Out of one mom's trauma to integration story, Blink of an Eye brings you a collection of unparalleled and diverse views as we take you on an inspiring and unvarnished look at the true nature of trauma in all our lives. Today's episode is part of our Dear Louise series, where I have the joy of conversing with extraordinary individuals living with spinal cord injury, who both embrace and defy their physical limitations as entrepreneurs, trailblazers, tastemakers, and innovators. Join us as we explore what is possible in spinal cord injury. This episode is sponsored by Blink of an Eye Nonprofit and by Baltimore Mediation. Hello, everyone. I'm Louise Fipsempt, your host of Blink of an Eye podcast and the founder of Blink of an Eye Nonprofit. We all know how life can change in the blink of an eye. Please, Reach out to me at louise at blinkofaneye.org about your experiences with trauma and trauma healing. In the tapestry of life, there are those rare individuals who emerge from spinal cord injury. And there are those who emerge as heroes for living their lives. But there are also those who emerge as beacons of inspiration in service to others guided them as they try to find their way through their dark storms. Our next guest is one such luminary, an athlete turned counselor and a remarkable quadriplegic mom of three kids, a passionate host of the My School Counselor podcast and a dedicated advocate for the dreams of young athletes in search of scholarships. Stay tuned. I am blessed to introduce you to Lindsay Pinkelman. Lindsay is a quadriplegic mom. She's a mom of three, and she's the host of My School Counselor podcast. She's a guiding light for child athletes seeking scholarships. Lindsay's sports journey began with T-ball at five and blossomed into a lifelong love for sports. From basketball to softball, she embraced competition. High school saw her shine in softball, landing her a spot on the Greenway High School's varsity team and with the Arizona Vipers. And then she earned a softball scholarship to Nebraska College and went on to pursue a master's in school counseling from the University of Alaska, Fairbanks, to help athletes. Married for 11 years, three children, and then her life changed in the blink of an eye. We'll hear more about that and how Lindsay is still championing athletes. Welcome, Lindsay. 
Oh my gosh, it's so great to be here. Just hearing you give a little glimpse of my story just um, puts a smile on my face. Well, you are putting a smile on my face. I just want our listeners to know this beautiful woman I'm looking at who is totally tricked out with her podcast studio and her the hat she's wearing probably to keep warm for where you are and hold in the body heat and a gorgeous voice. And I'm really curious about the insides. What goes yeah. on for Lindsay Pinkelman? Give us a sense of who you are on the inside. Yeah, so much like you introduced, I just originally am from Phoenix, grew up playing sports. I don't remember when pursuing a college scholarship became something that I was interested in pursuing. But I think a lot of that has to do with my type A personality and just trying to be the best in anything I can do. I actually had a previous accident in my life. It was first practice of senior year volleyball and I went up to hit. I was an outside hitter and the set was really close to the net and I came down on the blocker's feet and I compound dislocated my ankle. And at the time I thought my college scholarship, you know, goal was done. Mm -hmm. You know, it was my senior year. Mm -hmm. I was I knew softball was ahead. That kind of landed me in the hospital for gosh, five, six days, I think. I went to school late my senior year. Um, I had a cast up to my thigh. So when I arrived, I was in a wheelchair, you know, practice, I guess, for <laughs> later on in my life. <laughs> yeah. And anyway, I rehabbed essentially. And I was like, I'm not going to let this stop me. So I showed up about February of my senior year ready for softball and went on and I earned a scholarship like you had mentioned and I played at Dana College in Blair, Nebraska. And it was at that point in my life, I was like, I love small towns. Being originally from Phoenix, you know, I, I had no idea what that looked like. But when I found myself in a small town on a small college campus, it just really felt like home. And that's where I met my husband, Wes. And we both stayed there for a year. He was a baseball player. And after that year, you know, life happens. And even though I had a little bit of a scholarship, the mom and pop scholarship was soon ending and just had to make some life choices that summer and decided that I was going to go back home and finish up at Arizona State. So I became a snowbird at the age of like 20. And that was amazing. And so my husband and I, we would snowbird between Arizona and Alaska. What everybody wishes they could do <laughs> for a year or two. I know. <laughs> but what's really funny is that after I graduated and decided to move to Alaska and pursue my master's at UAF, I thought I could still be a snowbird. And I was like, wait a second, like that's not, I'm going to be in the most extreme climates <laughs> in both states at the wrong times. Like, no, this is not going to work. <laughs> You've uh, looked at reality square in the face before your injury too, twice now. Yes, very much so. And so I got my graduate degree through the University of Alaska Fairbanks School of Education, Guidance and Counseling. So that's about an hour and a half from where I live. I live in Delta Junction, Alaska. It's a small town about 100 miles south of Fairbanks and right outside the Fort Greeley um, missile defense site. 
And at the time, it was just firing up. So this was back in 2001, between like 2001, 2005. And so, um, yeah, we decided to call it home and built a house and just, you know, made our life here, really. And I grew up in the Delta Greeley School District as their counselor, I guess, at many sites. But most of my career, I had spent at the high school And then the last year, um, I had transferred to the elementary school. I had three kids and just being the high school counselor was a big responsibility. And I had gone through many administrators. Like I said, three kids, it just became a lot. And so when I had the opportunity to transfer to the elementary school, I had the time of my life. It was like rejuvenating for my career. I remembered why I love my job. And it was that summer of 2017 that I had the accident. Maybe we can pause on that if you're willing to talk about that blink of an eye moment when you had your accident and how it happened and what ensued thereafter. Yeah, I was um, on our lake. Oh, well, not our lake, but I guess I was at Quartz Lake, which is right outside our town. And it was a beautiful sunny day. The end of June is a really big... um, time of celebration in our family. We have some extended family anniversaries and birthdays. And then my boys have birthdays on June 26th, June 28th. The third one has a half birthday on the 29th. So the the baby (laughs) of the family got half birthdays for a while. And then our anniversary is on July 1st. And so Mm. we just had some really good friends come back into town and there were a whole bunch of us out at the lake. Everybody had left and um, my boys had gotten this swing, this outdoor swing from one of those toy companies. It's pretty common. They're like the outdoor netted swings that you can either hang from a tree or like a, like a metal, you know, frame essentially. Like a bird's nest kind of thing. Yeah, very much so. And what were the ages of your children then? Our youngest was 18 months, I think, 16 or 18 months. Um, The middle one was three. And the oldest was seven. That's not right. Four. Mm -hmm. Okay, 18 months, four and seven at the time. Mm-hmm. So the two oldest were on the swing with me and I had hung it from this log structure that just looked gorgeous. It was a beautiful sunny day. There were eyelets in the bottom of this log, which made it look like there was potentially a swing in the past there. Maybe a sign, you know, now looking back that maybe it was more like a flag or like a, you know, a nameplate sign hanging there. But nonetheless, I had the desire to hang mm-hmm. the swing there. So I got a ladder out and I climbed up there and I was pushing on the log and just really like making sure it was secure. At the time, I just felt like I was doing all my checks and balances. And anyway, I didn't see a log screw like through the top log on the side ones. You know, it was like two sawed off ones and one across. And so anyway, I didn't see a physical structure there. But anyway, I was like, oh, it's got to be connected somehow. So I attached the swing, we got in it, you know, our butts had touched the ground. So so I got up and I adjusted it just so we were a little bit higher so that my leg was over it, my heel was on the ground and we could control like how we were relaxing on this swing. 
Well, I was using the frame as a headrest, really. And my leg was on the other side of it. And we finally got on and it was just like this brief moment of bliss, like exactly what I wanted. It was sunny. We were on the swing. We were just going to have a rest from just the wonderful craziness of having everybody out there. And I don't know, not, you know, 30 seconds, 45 seconds. I don't even know how long later that whole log rolled off and started coming towards us. And I put my arms up <sighs> thinking like I was going to be able to stop it. And I didn't, but I don't know, by the grace of God or angels or something, um, the log went over the top of us. But I don't know if the weight of the log, the impact of the swing hitting the ground, something created the perfect force essentially and like front whiplashed me so that I broke my neck at C5-6 and immediately Mm. knew I was paralyzed. Like I didn't really know what that meant, but I knew like, this electrical shock had come over my body and I knew I needed help. And so my husband was on the deck, but the way the deck was, it was out of sight line. So I yelled for help and he immediately got on the phone and called 911. And at that time I asked him if my legs were up in the air, because for me, it felt like I was in a, like a V up position. Um, like you would work out, you know, and your hands, your legs are in the air. And so I asked Wes, I was like, are my legs in the air? And when he said no, like I knew I was in trouble in that moment. And I remember Mm. just laying there looking up at the sky and thinking about all the movies we watch where the transitions are, you know, in the sky and the clouds are floating by and they go to the next scene. I was like, I cannot close my eyes. Like I felt like in that moment, if I closed my eyes, I was going to die. So I just really had to lay there and focus on my breathing and stay calm. And my oldest got off the swing and started praying immediately. And our dog was by my head. And Mm. my husband had sent my oldest into action and put him down at the lake to like flag the boats in essentially. And we had some great friends on the lake that had received the 911 dispatch call. And they came running Mm. over. And they went into action as well. They had a pontoon boat and his wife went upstairs. I was really concerned about Kip, our youngest, because he was upstairs, but old enough to like, you know, get around. And I didn't want him to fall down the stairs or go out the back door. And so she went out and got him. And I guess after that, like everything just went in motion. And it was really amazing how that all happened to be in such a real spot. And to have such great first response care. And also just how remarkable it was that that log seemed to go over the top of you, the children not being injured, but that beautiful, warm, sunny day and watching the clouds. So many people who have experienced a spinal cord injury whom I've had the privilege of talking with relay two of the same things that you have that they knew immediately that they were paralyzed, didn't really know what that meant, but they knew and they didn't want to close their eyes. They wanted to stay open and aware, almost thinking that, as you mentioned, that would be over. Incredible, I think, for we who've never experienced that. That's what I was going to say. It's just amazing that that is a human 
any reaction. I mean, there's no book that prepares you for this life, really. And to be able to, like you said, reiterate the fact that that's a that's a response from many people. I I can't describe why that is, really. I think you're just fighting for survival, and that must be one of the instincts that our bodies have, you know, our bodies so. and our mind. I thought about it, and I'm with you. I think it's ingrained, hardwired response to live and that if we close our eyes somehow that is rest but also Mm. could be eternal rest yeah that's really interesting gosh and your your little boy your oldest but still so young at seven immediately praying Mm -hmm. incredible have you spoken to him about that it's funny with trauma I spent so much time dealing with my own. And then I think just some of the dynamics that happen along the way with all the relationships in your life. I feel like I tried to manage it for too long. And it's not like we talk about it a lot. I feel like once I got to rehab, I felt like I was like, um, I need a wheelchair and like, let's go. I got things to do. And I feel like with the boys, it was sort of that same way. Like, we don't really talk about the accident a whole lot. I feel like in many ways we've we've sort of just adapted and moved on. And I've always opened the door for them to be able to talk about it. But it's not something that they've ever brought up or relived the day necessarily with me. And that's okay. You know, I just hope that they know... Mm-hmm when they're ready or if they want to, that that option is still there to work through that with me. Yeah, like you said, when they're ready, because if that was in 2017, about six years ago, mm-hmm. and they're, what are their ages now from the top? 13, maybe? 13, and 10, 10, and seven and a half. And seven and a half, yeah. Your remaining open is such a beautiful thing because... We all know that nothing's ever linear when it comes to emotional and mental and spiritual healing. (laughs) You know, we just come back to it. And if mom is there to come back to, kind of like coming back home and there's mom willing and open, that's uh, grace that you give your family. Yeah, very much so. Mm. Is it hard for you to talk about it? I know it is for Um, many. And others, will not so much. It's easier. Yeah, you know, I I was listening to one of your podcasts about, um, I think it was the five-day one. And five days for me is really meaningful because fortunately or unfortunately, I have my own opinions about it, but I did not have surgery right away when I finally arrived mm-hmm. um, at the hospital. I did not have surgery until the fifth day. Knowing what I know now, I don't think that's the best medical practice. Um, That's a whole nother podcast. But I had Mm -hmm. a lot of time to come to terms with what had happened. In fact, I remember there being a clock on the wall in front of me. And I asked my mom, um, because she had flown in to Anchorage. And I was like, you got to take the clock down. Like, I can't sit here and stare at the clock. Like, you know, I had no idea what life was going to look like. My husband was 
by my side. My mom flew in, my sister flew in, my, my mother-in-law, you know, she was, she had the kids. Like, I, I feel like in a lot of ways, like we all just sprang into action and did what we all know best. And it's just like, you just got to go. Right. And so I was laying there having to come to terms with what had just happened. And I think for me, when I accepted the fact that God didn't hurt the kids, he knew that like I could handle it. Mm -hmm. And I think it was just those early moments that I was like, okay, well, God chose me. So here we go, really. And I just celebrated my birthday uh, on the 23rd. And it was just a really... Happy birthday. Thanks. Yeah, it's been, you know, seven years and it was a really beautiful day because I felt like for the first time I was at peace and everything that I've prayed for, I have, like, even before the accident, you know, I'd pray for certain things in my life and pray for, like, time with the kids and the whole working mom guilt throughout my career was always really heavy on me and to have what we have now and be blessed with so many amazing relationships that I never knew you know I could have and the humbleness of the accident like it's just been amazing the gift that has been given even though I sit here in pain 24 7 and You know, a spinal cord injury has its complications. It's still beautiful and there's a lot to be thankful for. And I just really try to like focus on that more so than what happened. So it doesn't make it hard to talk about it all. It sounds like a, a real faith response. Has faith played a real significant role for you in this recovery and in those five days that you lay without surgery? Oh my gosh, more than I can really describe in a lot of ways. I can tell a couple stories about that, but I was a late bloomer with faith. Like I grew up non-denominational, going to church when we could, you know, sports took a kind of front seat to that. But my parents and my best friend's parents and some other relationships, you know, had really exposed me to, to faith and God and church. And so when I met Wes, he grew up Catholic. And so there's a real learning curve for me to decide if that was something that I was going to learn about and embrace if we wanted to be married and, you know, how we wanted to raise the kids and all that. So I became Catholic when I was pregnant with our oldest. And I definitely would not say that I'm an amazing practicing Catholic by any means, But I also feel like it's your personal relationship with God that matters. So when we arrived at Providence Hospital, there's a cross above the door in the um, emergency room and the priest walks in or the clergy walks in. And I swear he was going to read me my last rites. Like I thought that that's where we were. And I was so like scared. I mean, it is such chaos in that room. I can't even describe like you were trying to do it on the podcast I was listening to. And I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. There's a lot of buzzing yeah, and five. beeping and people yeah. and questions. And yeah. yeah. And then the priest comes in and it's like, would you guys like a prayer and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yes, please. 
So anyway, mm. we developed some really great relationships with the ones at the hospital. We had a friend send a priest to come see me. I was in the ICU for 30 days and he would come visit occasionally, you know, and things like that. Anyway, I couldn't fly to my rehab hospital. So I had to be transferred to like uh, in between until we could get my blood pressure under control. So I had been transferred to like a LTAC, so a long-term care, you know, facility. And so we hadn't seen, his name is Father Dan. We hadn't seen Father Dan in a while. And I was getting ready to leave at 4 a.m. on the med flight to my rehab hospital. And Wes is sitting or he's like standing next to my bed and I'm just telling him, like, honestly, for the first time, I'm quite nervous. Like, I, I have my bearings. I, I know what's going on. You know, I'm kind of scared of this med flight. I had already had one and I was too drugged up to really care uh, what was going on. But this one, for whatever reason, was weighing really heavy on me. And in that moment, there was a knock on our door and it was Father Dan. And I was like, what? <sighs> I haven't seen him in like three and a half weeks. And he's like here in this moment, you know. And I had the conversation with him and I explained that I was really anxious and nervous. And there was this, you know, there's a whole new life ahead of me that I was going to go experience at Craig Hospital is where I did my rehab. And he just talked about his own experience and the, you know, classes he does with his parishioners and really taught me the whole let it be, let it go, let it grow mm-hmm. mantra. And, you know, you got to, you got to let it go. You got to, you know, basically give it up to God and then grow with him really. And to this day, like it's something I constantly go back to, but like to like send him in that moment was just something like, I I mean, you don't plan those things. No, that was a God wink. (laughs) Yeah. So that was pretty incredible. And there's so many other little things along the way, but like that was a really powerful moment. I wonder if you were to ask Father Dan what it was that, you know, whispered in his ear to get him to the hospital at that hour of the morning. Mm-hmm. It's so amazing how spirit works. But that's yeah. exactly what you needed then. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, this piece about faith and the service, I think you're kind of brushing up on that too, that when you look to, you move forward in a way that's for others and for you, like with your kids, your family, you had things to do. It's such a such a beautiful aspect of trauma healing with the admonition that we have to be careful, of course, not to bypass things that are really, really difficult and that can get stored in our bodies. But service is such a such a gift. And part of real trauma healing, I think, is why people give back so much. It's amazing you say that because it's something that as I've gone through my journey that I realize is important. So one of the things I wanted to do for my accident was to start a scholarship because we have a local community scholarship program. And I was always the organizer of it as a high school counselor. And so... I just always felt like I wanted to do that, but it would be a conflict of interest as the high school counselor to then have one of my own. And again, a gift from God, I was able to start one after the accident with the money, a little bit of the money that we had received in, um, you know, funds and support. And so 
Wes and I decided we wanted to pay it forward to the kids in our community. Mm. And so we created the first one the year I got back. And since then, I've had like auctions and jewelry parties and purse auctions. Um, Purses with the purpose is what I called it. Um, But yeah, we just gave our 14th and 15th scholarship this year. Mm-hmm. And I find like when I'm in some of my darkest moments, like I just reach out and I call a friend and tell them thanks or like send somebody flowers or like, you're right, like doing something for somebody else kind of gets you out of that, I guess, pittiness, feel sorry for yourself moments and just brightens my day. Yeah, we all have it. A little funk. <laughs> oh my gosh. It can really lift yeah. us up out of the foggy funk. We'll pause now in support of our sponsors who support Blink of an Eye. We'll be right back. Blink of an Eye nonprofit is filling a gap nationwide in response to spinal cord injury trauma for families in the first hours and days of injury. With fewer than 20 hospitals in the country having SEI expertise, Blink of an Eye has navigators who themselves have been there as SCI survivors and who are trained in relational approaches to trauma, who are available 24-7 to support families, empowering them on their journeys, navigating their lives, and interacting with medical staff for the first 30 days. The nonprofit's mission is to transform the SCI crisis experience into an extraordinary one, despite the devastation. When you learn of a newly injured SCI family, call Blink of an Eye on their toll-free number, 1-844-41-BLINK. You can also learn more and get involved with Blink of an Eye at www.blinkofaneye.org. Blink of an Eye is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. Since 1993, Baltimore Mediation has been leading the way in a relational approach to conflict and problem solving. They are national leaders in teaching and providing fully immersive and experiential online training in mediation and conflict transformation skills. Register for the next course at www. BaltimoreMediation.com. The quality of your interactions at work, at home, and in your daily life will be transformed. And you will create more well-being for yourself and others. Better process, better outcome. Baltimore Mediation. And now, back to the show. Well, I'm glad you are doing what you're doing. And I'm thinking about how I'm imagining how your school community with the years of school counseling and the different schools that you had touched and then to be in the elementary school, just the power of schools and churches, faith groups, how they can really be the foundational support for someone who is spinal cord injured at the time of injury. And for those who don't have, whether it's they themselves connected or their children connected at the time, but who are years, years removed from a school setting, the the power of those families who are who are not and that that community is so there for them. Did you experience that? Oh my gosh, yeah. I 
kind of joke because I'm like, I don't know how many people's like medical conditions have been posted on the community paper in the past, um, but mine were. And it's okay. You know, it, I know it came from a good place and people do want to know and they did want to know at the time about the situation because both my husband and I were really connected to our community. But I cannot tell you how important that was to our recovery. I was at three different hospitals and I thought when I flew to Colorado, like I was sort of going to be on our own again. But I had so many visitors all the time come through um, the hospital. Even when I went to Arizona after that, before I came back to Alaska, I still had friends and family from all over come in to visit. And I don't know what I ever did to deserve that love, but um, the power of that and the healing process, and I think for the kids was really important. <laughs> with that being said, I feel like I do live with some guilt sometimes because there was so much love and I know how important it is that when I find myself knowing of other situations or people in the community that have experienced trauma, I feel like I owe it to them to give the same amount of love that I got to. So I feel like that's like a relationship that I still kind of struggle with in my journey of grief. Almost like a survivor's guilt in some ways, I guess. Like your own survivor's guilt when you are the, you're the survivor, right? And because oftentimes survivor's guilt would be hypothetically, you know, like your husband saying, you know, why couldn't it have been me and not you or a sister or a brother saying, why couldn't it have been me or a parent, right? Rather than mm -hmm. my child or rather than my sibling. But you're describing a survivor's guilt as the person injured, yeah. unworthiness and yeah and guilt where do you suppose that comes from you know I, ha I don't know it's not something that I've processed I guess that I feel I mean it's always something that I have always been really in touch with other people's emotions and I guess like worrying about somebody else that goes through trauma and not having the love and support that we did and like trying to make sure that they do you know, so it's very much about like helping or controlling other people's feelings and emotions, which is definitely something I struggle with and was really evident during the healing process. Mm, can you give an example of that? Um, especially with the kids, just like, you know, sucking my own emotions up and healing up and being okay for them and making sure that like they knew I was strong and and stuff and not wanting them to feel sad or upset or, you know, and so I was always like picking them up or just, they were so little, you know, and we, we were living with my in-laws. And so that can be a lot having a whole family of five under somebody else's roof. And so if they were having an outburst or, you know, a bad day or whatever, you know, and just trying to like work really hard to make sure that they weren't interfering or interrupting. Yeah, it sounds like working really hard to kind of keep a lid on things or, you know, keep yeah. it down and to keep it tightly 
kind of controlled so that they wouldn't make a disturbance or what have you. Yeah. 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 That's exhausting, by the way. Yeah, that's exhausting. And then for you, the injured person, it can be a recipe for a bypass later, right? When you just keep looking good, forging ahead, smiling, and hey, we got this kind of thing when we really do truly need each other. And so sometimes I will speak my own journey, perhaps members of my family as well, that we are cut from a similar cloth as you, Lindsay. <laughs> and um, with Catholic by background and incredible support from schools and thinking, you know, we've got this and, and so appreciative of other people and feeling like, you know, how did all this goodness happen to us? And also not fully capable of receiving all that was given without feeling that it had to be given back. Yeah. You know, like to really receive other people's gifts because we couldn't give back most of it at all. Yeah, the things that people have taught me about that, that I'm still working through is that that was like a chapter in your life and that's what they wanted to do in that moment. But you don't owe them anything. Yes. And that concept is really difficult for me, especially when relationships move on and change and they were there for you in the beginning. And then you get back to life, whatever that looks like. And time is looks different. You don't always have time to check in with them anymore. And it just, you grow apart. There's still that onus. I don't even know if that's a word. I don't want to call it guilt. Yeah, I don't the think onus, it's guilt. Yeah. But like a yeah, burden. there's, yeah, yeah. I don't think I'm fully there yet. There's a, more of an awareness of that in being okay with that it looks different now. It's all, I think for all of us, starts with that glimmer of awareness and we just live more fully into these things. It is an interesting adage, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. And here <laughs> people would say like, Lindsay Pingelman, you've been given a lot. You know, you had this incredibly catastrophic accident, C5, C6, and yet you've got this attitude. I'm really curious if you're willing, what does a day in the life look like <laughs> for the Pinkelman family and for you? <laughs> oh, man. Well, I feel like for the first time since the injury, I would consider myself healthy. So health is the number one gift I can give myself and my family. And when I was talking a little bit about the controlling of other people's emotions and you had kind of recognized that that's a lot, um, you're right. It landed me in the ER. And I think what I ended up having happen was like a major stomach flare up of like colitis. They never really like said one way or the other, but anyway... That was probably year four of the accident. Um, and we had just moved into our new house. And so that was just a lot at the time. And at that time, with that flare-up of colitis, as you look back on it, even, what, three years ago, is there any meaning for you in that as it relates to health? 
Oh yeah. I mean, we were, we were selling a house. We were going through all this stuff we had just had in storage for three years. The boys were older. I was working two jobs. I was going through a major situation in my life having to do with the spinal cord injury. My emotions, I think, were just tapped. We were building a house. So there was like... That's enough. (laughs) Yeah. There were decisions being made left and right. Luckily, Wes and I had already built a house before. So building this one was just like, we just knew. But you know what's amazing about this new house? So here's another God story. Wes had design ideas in mind. He knew like kind of what we needed. You know, we had been living in a garage for three years. And so, which was great. Like it, we figured out what we need, what works, what doesn't work. Go to build the house. Wes's cousin is an architect at a Washington. He helped modify some of the original designs to accommodate certain things. Our house plans came out in the exact sign of a cross. Oh my gosh, I have goosebumps uh, from the tips of my fingers down to my toes. I'll send you a picture. Oh my gosh, that's the Holy Spirit passing over if there ever. Why, well, my goodness. I mean, I I can't explain. I I cannot explain how that happened at all, but it's the exact sign of a cross. <laughs> You don't need to. That's just yeah. it. We think we have to explain, but we we don't. We just have yeah. to say, wow, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there was a wow. lot going on in my life. And uh, we had an amazing housewarming party and I could barely function. And the next day I went to the ER. It was like, just get to that one place in your life, right? You just got to make it to Monday. You just got to make it till Monday. And my body just couldn't anymore. And um, yeah, just collapsed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very much, very much so. So here we go again, rebuild. (laughs) So yeah, that's kind of what I was doing for a while after that was just like moving in, enjoying the house, figuring out what I was going to (laughs) eat. And so it's taking a while. And so yeah, when I say for the first time, I feel healthy, that's why. So health being the number one concern, then after that, I landed my dream job. So I work for the largest homeschool program in the state of Alaska. And I podcast for them as well. And I also, because I'm an independent consultant for school counseling services in the state, um, I pick up other contracts as well. So, So yeah, I'm blessed to have a job. And then because of being homeschool counselor. I figured I should know something about homeschooling. So I decided, or we, Wes and I decided to homeschool our oldest um, son. He's in middle school. And because of hockey in rural Alaska, you have to play in other cities, really. So the hockey schedule can become quite intense. So we decided to homeschool. So I homeschool as well. And the two other boys play hockey. So if we're in hockey season, it's a lot of like scheduling and meal planning and coordinating. I don't drive, so I'm not able to support in that aspect. 
But I've just really tried to lean into the fact that like what I thought life was going to look like for a hockey mom or sports mom support looks different for me, but I can create an environment that they want to come home to. When the whole world Mm. is crazy, you know, all the pressures of the sports world and the school world and everything, if I can have an environment that they want to come home to and feel like it's a deep breath, then that's like the best thing I can do. So I really focus on that at home. Wow. So health number one and quality of of home that you create mm-hmm. for your boys, the younger boys and your big boy. <laughs> what have you created? What are you proud of? What have you put your heart into that creates that sense of home that they want to come home to? I just think the love, right? Like mom's still here. I'm still able to teach. I'm still able to help. I'm still able to support. And so I want them to make sure like they can feel that at home. And Mm -hmm. I don't know that I necessarily like do anything, but just like making sure home feels peaceful is always my goal. I think like any mom, maybe a lot of moms want that for their home and their kids. It's just when the world just feels really heavy, home should be a place that they can feel, you know, light and fresh and safe in. Yeah, exactly. I mean, safety so big, but refreshing and a place mm. of rest and just to be yourself and to be loved. Yeah. Yeah, it's really huge. So I'm thinking with a number of the stories, you and Wes, and Wes and you have done so much together. What has the impact of your spinal cord injury been on your marriage? It sounds like you guys are quite a team. Yes, he has been there from day one. He is my rock. Um, I don't know how he does what he does, to be honest. I don't feel like it's something we've really talked about, to be honest. Again, I think it just goes back to like, I called for help. And he did what he had to do to fix it. And I feel like that's just how we operate. Like he knows the things that he needs to do to support. I know the things I need to do to support. But I feel like because we're best friends, like good or bad, there's still that like respectful communication that happens. And marriages aren't perfect. And Neither one of us are perfect, but I feel like we try really hard for each other. Mm -hmm. And I feel Mm -hmm. like that's what makes this situation work and has gotten us to like where we need to be. He probably gave me one of the best gifts ever. He said, you are getting out of bed every day. And I'm like, I don't want to. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. It is so hard to get out of bed. So hard takes so darn long. So long and you just don't want to tackle the day knowing you're going to be in pain all the time. All the time. Yeah. And just the arduousness of getting dressed, having someone dress you and everything else that you need others to do for you. Yeah. Half your day is gone by that point. Exactly. And that was so hard for me to wrap my head around that my day doesn't start till like 11 or 12. 
in the mm-hmm. afternoon. It's so frustrating. But I guess in my mind, I've like had to work really hard at accepting it. But yeah, him basically saying you got to get out of bed every day made me try really hard for my family. And mm-hmm. obviously when you start doing hard things over and over and over again, they become easy. So now it's like not something I have to think about. I'm just getting out of bed every day. And even when I don't feel well, he makes sure I get out of bed at some point because, you know, you don't want like the fluid in your lungs and stuff to like cause oh, secondary yeah, it's complications. for a spinal cord injured, yeah. someone living with spinal cord injury to be prone for too long. Yeah. Yeah. Fluids, ulcers, bed wounds, the whole bit. So he's mm-hmm. your... He sounds like he's almost a bit of your personal coach and you've got uh, the memory of what it means to be an athlete where you just keep at something that's hard and then it's not so hard anymore. And then you <laughs> then you go on to the next set of exercises. So the athletic world may have served both of you quite well. I feel like that's a really great way to put it. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just anecdotally, we have five kids and all very athletic. And I just think of the times when they were at the ages of your children and in a couple more in, in between there or maybe one older. And, you know, we were always doing family dinners. It was just an important thing that we were always going to eat together. But the children could be young and we weren't having dinner till nine o'clock when everybody got home from practices. You know, if everybody had looked in and be like, what are the Sims doing? But then to think of your being a mom living with spinal cord injury. It's just, uh, it's really quite a feat every day, Lindsay, to hear about this. What about cooking and laundry? And you mentioned about you're not able to do like the carpooling and so forth, but do you get help with that in your home or does that fall on the shoulders of your husband? Yeah, so being a C5-6 complete, I am fully dependent and I have had the blessing of having some amazing caregivers. But I think one of the best gifts I was given was a childhood friend had come back into my life when I was in Arizona. She's now a amazing business coach, helping coaches coach others, you know, themselves and their clients. And so at the time she was a lifestyle health coach, basically. And so she brought me on board as her client and really taught me health and wellness and just like management tools, essentially. And she really taught me how to plan my day and really helped me work around all the times that I had such negative thinking or blocks. You know, one of them was how long it took me to get up for the day. The other one was how long tasks on the computer were taking me. Remember, this was early on in the injury. So this is like when things were really, really slow and I'd be frustrated that a task at the computer that would take me 10 seconds if I could type was now taking me literally five minutes. So we constantly worked through things like that. And one of the things she taught me to do was plan our week. And so I religiously plan our week every Sunday and that involves the meal plans, who's going where for the week, who's driving, what time they have to be ready. And so I know all that ahead of time and I can schedule all of the support that's needed for that. So as an example, I knew today it was going to be pot roast, mashed potatoes and carrots. So 
while I was getting ready, my caregiver was putting that in the crock pot based on the recipe that I gave her. And she prepped it all while I was doing my morning routine. And I also told her that what type of lunch I wanted because I knew we were having this podcast and she had to leave at a certain time. So I needed to have that ready. So it was just a lot of like pre-planning, thinking ahead. Part of that for me also is that we sort of have a grocery store in our community, but not really. So like if you don't have ingredients, it's not like you're running around the corner to your Fred Meyers or your, you know, Safeway. Like our grocery store is a hundred miles away. There's a lot of like Costco hauls and Fred Meyer pickups. And so again, it's just our life is full of planning. And I think going back to like how Wes and I operate, I think we both do a really good job at that. So because of that, I don't feel like our life runs in chaos all the time. Yeah, it sounds like that uh, the management, the logistical management allows and gives some boundaries to a really wonderful, full, sometimes chaotic existence. But the logistical planning is really key, what she shared with you. Was there anything else that she shared with you that it's top of mind that you might share with listeners that might benefit them as well? Oh, my. Well, you can look her up. She's the best damn coach or Amanda Walker on Instagram. Yeah, she calls that whole process her grounding day. I think the other thing she really taught me was, I believe it originates from the life coach school, but it's thought reframing, thought remodeling. There we go, Mm -hmm. thought remodeling. She really taught me thought remodeling and how our thoughts create our actions, or thoughts create our feelings, feelings create our actions, actions create our results. And how when thoughts aren't working for me or like in my consulting business, when I was trying to figure out what direction I wanted to go and how it was going to grow and all those things. And I would get like analysis paralysis or, you know, the who am I to and the imposter syndrome stuff. She really taught me how to work through that with thought remodeling. And that was a gift because not only in business, but also like just in my healing journey and stuff, I've come back to that all the time. And I really shorten it down also for my students as well. I feel like it's such an important tool that anybody should be able to have and do. Yeah, it's really wonderful that awareness that you have the thought and then the interjection to sort of stop it from winding up um, Mm -hmm. is so powerful. And then to question it. Yeah. 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 And then put a different frame on it. Something's alive and kicking that has us worried or defensive or fearful about. And to really uh, see that in a broader kind of way, that's a beautiful skill. Yeah. Because if you're not happy with the action or the result that's taking place, you need to go back to the thought and just having the accident and realizing how powerful the mind is over the body. I feel like if you can keep your mind healthy, that's another gift you can give yourself as well. Might be one of the biggest pieces for any of us, any human, and then someone living with spinal cord injury, especially when you live with chronic pain, it'd be easy to be on a, a whole cast of narcotics, to be, you know, smoking weed or ingesting Mm -hmm. most of the day so that you felt halfway decent, but we're missing also aspects of life 
it's a lot to cope with. And so staying clean in some way is is got a big payoff, even though it can be very, very hard to do. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Wondering for you with that courage, um, persistence to stay clean, what's your motivator and what's the payoff? I think for me, it was just like, I didn't want to be high around the kids. I felt like I wanted them to have 100% of me. And I, I did really have to work hard to get off medication after leaving to get to a place that I felt like I could function still and not be totally gone throughout the day. You know, having the boys as my purpose right now drives a lot. And I've thought about like, what does my future look like when it's just Wes and I, you know, and my body ails, you know, or whatever. But I like hearing stories of people that have been in the chair a long time, like 40 years, 45 years. You know, obviously some of them are not as encouraging, but I'm like, if they can do it, I can too, because they went through it at a time where technology wasn't as advanced either. And they're, Mm -hmm. they're making it like, I'm blessed to be in the chair when I am, because I mean, technology is just continuing to get more and more accommodating for all of us, but certainly people with disabilities. And um, I'm thankful for that. Indeed, just how much things have changed even since 2017 when you were injured in 2015, when my son was injured, it's, it's exciting. It's uh, what we're bringing as blink of an eye to families in the crisis of their spinal cord injuries. But just to know that despite the fact that things were not as advanced, um, you're still living with spinal cord injury and what it takes to stay positive, have a purpose, your children, and also be very Practical and thoughtful. In some ways, perhaps it's a journey of intention and real purpose for a marriage because each of the chapters are ones that you can potentially, any of us can take the time to say, you know, what's our next chapter? And when the children get older, when I begin to, my body breaks down or your body breaks down, I mean, those are really tender conversations that might become more pressing when one is spinal cord injured. And so the invitation becomes all the more, in some ways, painful but delicious because spouses might not spend time thinking about those real and tender, intimate conversations that they could have. You know, I think relationships change in the time periods that we're in. You know, you talk about chapters, like we're in a really busy chapter right now. You know, our kids are getting older. (laughs) They're active. Like I I tell people when Kip, our youngest turned seven, I felt like my life just like went and fast forward. I don't know what it was. I mean, our oldest, we were homeschooling at the time as well and could have been that. But the question that I feel like Wes and I always have to check in about is like, what is because of the injury and what would have always been? And it's hard to navigate that in a marriage because you don't always know, right? And it's different for each family. And and I don't know that that we know that answer, but it's always just something that we throw out there so that 
you know, we, we try to live as normal as possible and yeah, I have a disability and yeah, it's hard. But in some ways, I also feel like we're just a normal family raising kids and, you know, trying to do our best too. But yeah, there are times where it's like, is this because of the accident or would we have always been like this or gone through this, you know? One of those questions posed to which one might not ever know the answer yeah. and it's not even necessary to know the answer. It yeah. keeps the mystery going. Yeah, yeah. it's really it's really beautiful and to know that, yeah, no matter what can come any of our ways, but uh, for those living with spinal cord injury, you're still just a family, a, a family that's doing their best with whatever they're faced with and the, and celebrating the joys as they happen and recognizing the chaos <laughs> when you're in the middle of the weeds and also when there's a clearing, uh, just the the rhythm of marriage and family life. It still goes on when there's still commitment. That's probably the the key piece, love and commitment. Yeah. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Well, Lindsay Pengelman, I'd say that you are a woman very worthy of being loved and having a wonderful spouse to love you (laughs) because of all the love that you give and also the mothering love. It's just been a joy to hear your story and to have you share just glimpses of it with us. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for letting me share. I've done a few podcasts, but never sort of this intimate about the journey. And so it's definitely very timely. I thought about what direction I wanted to take my story or want to take my story. And I was reflecting on that on my birthday too. And while I don't know that answer, I'm just gonna, you know, let it be and it'll take its own journey when it's ready to. So thanks for letting me open up and share. I really appreciate it. Mm, I guess that letting go and letting it grow kind of piece that you come back to. As we close, is there anything, any word of wisdom or anything else you would like to share with listeners that we may not have covered that's important to you? It's just really fun talking to people that understand like yourself. I feel like sometimes a spinal cord injury can be very isolating at times and especially living in a small town and a small state really. And I just appreciate all the people that see me for who I am and not how I look. I feel like if people want to know, they should just ask when they see somebody like me, you know, because there's a lot to us and I feel like sometimes that's overlooked. So being able to talk with you and you just get it and you don't always have to explain it just feels really good. Well, it feels equally good to me too. So I guess there's some relational reciprocity there and I'll look forward to staying in touch with you and watching your children grow up and really hearing more about you and your life. I imagine there are other spinal cord injuries in Alaska. There are, yeah. I have, I would say a handful of people that I connect with up here that kind of really help along the journey too. So unfortunately, most of them are men but they're still really great to connect with and just check in and be like, is this normal? Have you experienced this? What did you do in this situation? And it's funny how, you know, male or female, we're all open book and talk about anything. Nothing's really off the table. So I feel like that's pretty cool too. Indeed. Well, thank you so much uh, for your time and for your, your spirit and your character. Thank you. 
yeah, it's been a great conversation. Thanks so much. As we reflect on Lindsay Pinkelman's remarkable journey, we see a diverse array of strength and vulnerability, reality and resilience, passion and humility, and a woman who lives her life with unwavering commitment and optimism. Lindsay, the once star athlete, now a quadriplegic mom of three kids, is the voice behind the My School Counselor podcast and the guiding star for aspiring young athletes in pursuit of scholarship. She has etched a story that transcends the boundaries of sports and adversity. It is in the crucible of adversity that true champions emerge. And Lindsay Pinkelman's choice to live and give back while mothering her own children is nothing short of extraordinary. Her story teaches us that life's curveballs may be unforeseen, but life is all about how we choose to respond to those curveballs. Lindsay's unwavering spirit, her resilience in the face of adversity, and her unyielding dedication to the dreams of young athletes exemplify the boundless strength of the human heart. What might you be facing now that might invite you to a response inspired by Lindsay Pinkelman's life? Champions are not solely defined by their victories on the field, but by the spirit with which they face life's other challenges. Lindsay Pinkelman, with her enduring light, continues to inspire us all, reminding us that even in the darkest of moments, our inner strength can illuminate the way forward and pay it forward for others. Stay tuned for more incredible stories and insights on spinal cord injury heroes and innovators in future episodes in the Dear Louise series of our podcast. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. Life can change in the blink of an eye. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Subscribe to Blink of an Eye on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.